How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. And you can check out our webpage, letstalktorah.net. That's letstalktorah.net, no apostrophes. You can look for the old shows, check out the new shows, search for something you're looking for. You can leave comments, questions, and of course, the all-important donate button. You can help the show to continue to grow and to continue to let us uh, get the message out there that people can sit down or walk or run or jog or in their car and just uh, be up to date on holidays, Torah portions, all kinds of good stuff. You know, we're in the middle of December, and it's like 50 degrees outside, 48. Last week was freezing. Yeah, I'm not uh, this, uh, I don't know, this climate change. The only climate change I see is I never know what the weather is going to be. Warm, cold, snow, it'll be a miracle if it snows. Like, if this is the weather, we're never going to get snow, which is not good, because... As you know, I always like to take my family up north. We do our snowmobiling and our tubing, and but you gotta have snow for that. So, but talking about snow, talking about snow, um, even though I do want to talk about this week's Torah portion, but in the last show I, there was a story I wanted to tell you, and I didn't have a chance. So let's get a Hanukkah story in. Um, the only thing it has to do with snow is it took place in Russia. So I guess that's uh, close enough to connect my Hanukkah story with snow, which we don't have any over here. So Yitzhak Zilber was in uh, probably Siberia, and he was very careful. He kept Shabbos, and he kept holidays, and he kept Hanukkah. And he was there for many years. And one year he was stuck. He, he, he just had no material for his menorah. No candles, no wax, no no uh, wicks, no no matches. I guess matches they probably could make their own. They just had nothing. So he def- he befriended uh, a person by the name of D- Dubrovitsky. Okay, very a lot of connections, could get whatever he needed, and if you were friendly with him, you could get what you needed. It was very good. So he told him his problem, and I guess this Dubrovitsky, you know, gave him a wink. Okay, Rabbi, and he brings him a candle that's like long enough to be broken up into like eight pieces. Great, but there was a problem. You weren't allowed to have candles burning. Probably security, who knows what? The middle of Siberia, but I guess they're afraid of being attacked. I don't know what they're afraid of, but the guards actually checked every fifteen minutes. 
every 15 minutes, the guys were going to be walking into wherever you were hanging out. They checked the whole area every 15 minutes. The candle's got to burn for half an hour. So the candle's got to burn for half an hour. How are you going to do this? How's it going to work? So they came up with a brilliant plan. He spoke to other Jewish prisoners, and there were 15 other guys that said, okay, let's, let's do this. So they met in, like, the outhouse. An outhouse is obviously a bathroom, and it's dirty and smelly. You're not lighting your menorah in the bathroom. So what they did was they dumped out all the buckets. They cleaned up the whole room, scrubbed it. It was clean like anything. And, and they had a, an extra bucket of water. And okay, the guard came, left. So they lit the candle. They made the blessing, and everybody's there. Fifteen minutes later, they locked the door. And the guard comes and knocks on the door. And they say, oh, we're cleaning. And they took the other bucket with the map and they started pushing some water under the door to make it look like they're mopping. So the guard said, okay, I'll come back later. The guard comes back, of course, 15 minutes later. That's enough time. The candle, um, either they put it out or went out. And uh, they actually were able to to light a candle for Hanukkah. It's a big deal, Hanukkah. And it's really, really a big deal. It's a, it's a rabbinic holiday, but it's we talked a lot about it in the last show. It's a holiday that shows God's love for the Jewish people and, and the spirituality of the Jewish people and how God wants the Jewish people to be pure and study his Torah and keep his commandments. Um, it's a great holiday. Now, as far as the donuts and the cake and the, I don't know, all the oil and stuff I'm eating, that's not so good. But after tonight, um, I won't have a good excuse anymore and we'll go back to eating normal food. In any case... Let's get into this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Miketz. What's fascinating about this week's Torah portion is it almost always comes out during Hanukkah. Tomorrow is Friday, so the last day of Hanukkah is Friday. That means Shabbos is not Hanukkah. So it's quite unusual that this week is Miketz and not Hanukkah. And because of that, there's a different Torah, which if we have time... We'll talk about. It happens to be, I just finished this Torah portion of my class, and it's a great Torah portion. I mean, there's so much information I can give my class and talk about and learn and understand and lessons, and some of those lessons we're going to talk about, hopefully, on a little bit higher level than third graders, but maybe not. So the Torah portion at the beginning is really showing us it's a Hebrew phrase that goes, Yeshua Hashem Keharif Ayin, that the salvation of God is in the blink of an eye. When God is ready to save someone, it takes absolutely no time. If God wants, Hamas could disappear in a second. If God wants, then all the people who were kidnapped can be returned in a second. All we could do is pray. Will God do that? I have no idea. God can do whatever he wants. But it's important to know that there's no such thing as, oh, it's too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. So you have the famous dreams. 
Pharaoh has his dreams. First, he dreams about the he's standing on the river or next to the river, and the seven fat cows come out, and then seven skinny cows come out, and the skinny cows eat the fat cows, and and then uh, you have the stalks, you have the healthy stalk grow with seven ears on top, and then the thin stalk with seven ears. It's thin, it's beaten, it's horrible. And that swallows, again, it's a dream, so who cares? And the pharaoh wakes up, and he um, and he's got to get this dream interpreted. I just saw somewhere, um, yeah, we'll skip around a little bit. So it is interesting that the pharaoh is so concerned about what would seem to most of us to be a silly dream. Fat cows, skinny cows, wheat, swallowing, like, hello, it's a nightmare, you ate something funny, so your brain is like, who knows what. Like, why is the pharaoh so concerned about what would be a silly dream? Because you understand what happens is, he the next morning he calls all his interpreters in and his wise men and somebody must interpret the dream and they and they say this interpretation and that interpretation every interpretation they say he says wrong I know what it means and you're not telling me and and you're all uh, gonna be out of a job and worse if you can't find me somebody who interprets dreams and the officer of the the like the cupbearer the sarmaskmi is called he says oh mighty pharaoh. I remember there's a dream interpreter in jail. He's a kid. He's a Jew. He's a slave. So don't give him an important position, which is what's going to happen anyways. Uh, He can interpret dreams, but don't, you know, all he does is interpret dreams then, but throw him back in jail. And the Pharaoh calls him out and Joseph interprets the dreams. It's going to be seven good years and seven bad years. And you got to get somebody in charge, collect all the wheat. That's the... Right, that's just what happens. And then overnight, Pharaoh says, you're the wisest guy. And I teach my class that Joseph was amazing because the Pharaoh says when, when Joseph comes out of, out, of the, out of the jail and he gets cleaned up and he goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I hear you interpret dreams. So if you, if you want to get out of jail, the most normal thing that a person would say in Joseph's situation is, of course I interpret dreams. I am the best dream interpreter you ever met. Give me your best shot. Right? Joseph doesn't want to go back to jail. Instead, instead Joseph says, dream interpreting? I don't know how to interpret dreams. If I was Pharaoh in a second, I'd throw him out of my throne room. You're worthless to me. What do I need you for? But he has patience. And Joseph says, God is the one that interprets dreams. It's not me. The Pharaoh says, fine. You want it to be God, let it be God. And because Joseph blamed it on God, so Pharaoh will even change some of the details and Joseph will correct him on the details. Anyway, so Pharaoh says, there's nobody smarter than Joseph. There's nobody smarter than Joseph, so he should be the guy in charge, which will make him in charge of the whole country. He's going to make Egypt into a world power because all the money will filter into Egypt because there's a hunger around the world. He's got all the food. If he's got all the food, so uh, he's got all the power. And that power is an important word for us. So... Pharaoh said, there's nobody wiser than Joseph. How do you know there's no one wiser than Joseph? Because this much the Pharaoh understood. That 
God, probably idols are the same thing. God only talks to smart people. It's not a punishment or a reward, but God talks to smart people. Pharaoh understood that concept. So if the only guy in the room that got the message, that understood the dream, that could interpret it, because God told him the answer, then Joseph's got to be the smartest guy in the room. Otherwise, somebody else could have gotten the answer. So now let's get into now let's get into what's going on over here. So so it happens like this. So Pharaoh is all about is all about power. That's what he cares about. He's all about power. He's the mightiest. He has the strongest army. The Torah makes a big deal. They had six hundred steel chariots, or you know six hundred elite chariots. That's like our modern tanks. So Pharaoh's the biggest army. He's the mightiest army. And as far as he's concerned. The mighty, the strong win. Good connection to Hanukkah, by the way. The mighty, strong win, and the weaker lose. That is what the Pharaoh believed in. That's it. That was his, uh, his everything. The Greeks, by the way, were no different, right? They believed that they were the strongest nation. They had the biggest armies, the most uh, um, technologically advanced armies, and the best trained soldiers. Right? That's what they believed. We are the mighty. We win. So what happens on Hanukkah? God says, no, the few, the weak will win. Because God says, that's what I want. So Pharaoh is the same thing. Pharaoh believes that winning battles has to do with a bigger, stronger army. That's what he believes. But now he's having a dream. And the dream clearly says that the weak is going to win. The skinny cows are beating the fat cows. The beaten up, dried out stalk is beating the healthy stalk. How could that be? And how could that be? That troubled Pharaoh more than anything else. Right? Pharaoh doesn't like the idea that it's up to God who wins or loses. He wants to be up to him. So he's very very concerned he's very very concerned uh, about this message now did Joseph make him feel better about the message perhaps because Joseph interprets the message to mean that you're going to have a lot of food then you're going to have little food but then you'll be in control because the world will be starving and you'll have all the money and you'll have all the power so perhaps Perhaps the way Joseph interprets the dream is exactly what the Pharaoh needed to hear. He needed to hear that I will become the strongest. And if I become the strongest, then that, that's what Pharaoh thinks it's all about. So, interesting enough. Interesting enough. So... Joseph becomes in control of the country. Now, Joseph understands God is setting this up. So Joseph hasn't seen his father or brothers for years, like 12 or 13 years already. And he wants to see his brothers. But he knows God is setting up the whole thing. So my class always asks me, me a famous question, like how come Joseph is not just sending a letter to his father and say, hey, pops, um, haven't heard from you for a while. I happen to be in England, in, in, uh, in Egypt. Here's a, uh, here's a postcard of the Nile. Hope to see you soon. 
So how come Joseph never does that? How come Joseph never sends his father uh, a message, I'm alive and well? Which is really a very good question. So he says like this. There's a few different answers. One of the simpler answers is that last time Joseph saw his brothers, they wanted to kill him. So Joseph is concerned. If I send a letter to my father that I'm alive, my brothers are going to say, hey, that wasn't the deal. We sold you to be a slave. We should have killed you. We sold you to be a slave to be nice. Now he's sending letters to our father to get us in trouble. We're going to march down to Egypt, find you, and kill you. So that's safe. Others say that the brothers actually made... Um, uh, uh, and he was called a cherim, like an excommunication, meaning no one is allowed to tell Jacob uh, what happened on punishment of this excommunication, excommunicated from God. And so now Joseph is stuck because he also can't go against this, uh, this edict. So Joseph needs the brothers to come down. Joseph needs the brothers to... to uh, go find out that he's Joseph, not want to kill him, which is the whole problem, and then to go back to their father and say, we found Joseph. That's the plan. So, But there's one itty-bitty problem over here. There's one itty-bitty problem, and that is that how is Joseph supposed to know the brother's feelings towards him? Do the brothers still hate Joseph? In which case they want to kill him. So Joseph can't say who he is. Take his life into his hands. But how are you going to find out? You're going to ask him some questions. You're not going to get the right answers. You know the brothers have to come down because they're going to have to get food. So Joseph's going to make some brilliant rules and regulations um, to force every family to come down. One of the rules was no wagons. No wagons come in or out of Egypt. If there's no wagons coming in or out of Egypt, so you can't go bring down a, a semi-trailer and, and cart up the food and let everybody buy it from the guy who delivered it. It's not going to happen because no wagons. So everybody, every family is going to have to send down people with a couple donkeys. I don't know how much grain you can fit on a donkey. It depends on the size of the family, but how many, last six months, a year, like how long is it going to last for already? So that would force the brothers to come down. But that won't be good enough because so now the brothers will be here. So what can Joseph do? What can Joseph do to find out, do the brothers, have they, you know, I don't say repented, but have the brothers, like, changed their outlook? Can the brothers act like brothers? Can they love Joseph? How do you find out? So... It is interesting when you look at the last week's Torah portion. When you look at last week's Torah portion, the it seems like the brothers are jealous of Joseph. He gets a special coat or, or shirt. Um, he tattletales on them. He tells them the dreams is going to be king. But those are all side points. The biggest problem with the brothers, or their biggest problem, was that Jacob has four wives. He marries Leah first, but he was tricked into marrying Leah. He really wants to marry Rachel. 
Rachel is clearly his favorite wife. Well, so you can only imagine the children of Leah are jealous of the children of Rachel because it was quite understood that Rachel is the prime wife. She is the mother in charge of the house. She dictates. The brothers couldn't handle it. That's why they're so jealous. So what Joseph can do is he can see, will the brothers be willing to give up their life to protect Benjamin? Benjamin is also a child of Rachel. If the brothers are willing, if the brothers are willing to uh, stand up for Benjamin, as if they just, oh, okay, thief, keep him as a slave, no problem, then Joseph knows he has no way of, uh, of uh, telling the brother he's Joseph because he's going to hate him. But if times have changed and the brothers have the ability to love a child of Rachel, then there's hope that they can, I would love to say love, Joseph wants love, but at least they'll put up with Joseph and they won't want to kill him. So everything that's going to happen, the entire story through this Torah portion, is Joseph testing the brothers to see what has their attitude changed towards a child of Rachel? So the brothers come down. Joseph will accuse them of being spies. Um, many years ago, um, we had somebody on the show, um, a friend of mine, he wrote a book. Um, he was accused of being a spy right here in, uh, in Michigan, right here in the uh, Oak Park area. And it was a setup. He was the only religious Jewish fellow in the in this tank. I think he dealt with Humvees, actually. Um, and they were out to get him. And he had to actually prove that they were out to get him. So he had to sue the United States government so that he could take depositions. And in the depositions, it became clear that this was a setup. These guys were just out to get him. We have anti-Semitism today. We had anti-Semitism then. Um, I don't, he, he got a whole bunch of district attorneys across the country to write letters to the United States government, to the FBI, to clear him. I, I think it, it, he's been officially cleared. They never, they never even took him to trial. The problem is that if you have a, if you, if you have a, um, if you accuse him of being a spy and you're the government, you can do whatever you want. You can wait as long as you want till you actually bring him to trial. So there, there was no real trial. But this is what this guy went through. Terrible. So Joseph accuses the brothers of being spies. If I accuse you of being a spy, what are you going to say? No, I'm not. As the problem is, when I accuse you of being a spy, you have to prove you're not a spy. How am I supposed to prove I'm not a spy? Tell you a story? All spies tell stories. What, what are you going to do? So they start telling Joseph, you know, we're one big family and nobody would ever let all 12 children of a family be spies. That's crazy. And because uh, it's a very dangerous job. And, and even if we are spies, we're just buying food. Like We're allowed to buy food. And there's a give and take. And Joseph says, oh, so in your store you claim you have this brother Benjamin. Okay. You bring me this brother Benjamin and then I'll know you're telling the truth. The brothers like look at themselves like, what's going on over here? Like, the brothers are interesting because the brothers don't, they don't exactly blame themselves, 
but they they understand that God is punishing them. They understand that this is a punishment from God. And and they actually say, you know why we're being punished? Not because we sold Joseph. Selling Joseph or even killing Joseph, we believe we had the right to do. As far as, you know, straight law, we did nothing wrong. We had the right to sell him. But Joseph asked for mercy. And when he begged and pleaded for mercy, we should have been merciful for him. And since we weren't merciful, we deserve to be suffering now because they understood Jacob never let Benjamin leave his house. He's the only one left from Rachel, even though he has a bunch of kids already. I'm talking about Benjamin. But Jacob doesn't let Benjamin leave the house. How are we going to get our father to agree to let us take Benjamin down to Egypt? Now, Benjamin is 30 years old right now. But it didn't matter. Benjamin doesn't leave his father's house. His father doesn't let. Jacob doesn't let. So the brothers realize we are in a major predicament over here. It's going to be a problem. And God's punishing us. And, and, and it's all the psychology. So Joseph first says, okay, I'll send one guy back. Keep you guys all in jail. Then he says, very interesting, he says, he says, you know what? I feel bad for your families. You're starving families. You need food. I'm going to let nine of you go. And I'll keep one behind, which is interesting because he was hinting to the brothers, I don't even know you and I'm nice to you. And you were nice to your brother. Anyways, the music's playing. I hope you enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you for course, one of us, a wonderful sponsor. Listen to I can't do without you. Thank you for the production team. I have Alan in the back. I've left left juice and food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Every room inside is filled